according to His promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by Him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the Scriptures. We are in Proverbs chapter 12 this morning. Proverbs 12. Picking up our study where we left off in verses 5 through 7. 5, 6, and 7, talking about our thoughts, talking about our words, talking about our actions, and uh, the principles that Scripture lays out there that relate to our thinking and how thinking drives everything that follows. Proverbs twelve five: the thoughts of the righteous are just, but the counsels of the wicked are deceitful. That's the thinking verse. Then we have uh, words in verse 6. The words of the wicked lie in wait for blood, but the mouth of the upright will deliver them. So we go from thinking in verse 5 to speaking in verse 6 to the uh, entire life in verse 7, our actions and the result of our, of our actions, the uh, end of our life and the evaluation of everything in verse 7. The wicked are overthrown and are no more, but the house of the righteous will stand. And so what is the house? What is the, um, <clears throat> the legacy of your life that you leave behind to your estate, to your children and grandchildren and, and, and everything? Uh, when we speak of the, uh, the overthrow or the fall of the house of Usher, for example, or anything of that nature, uh, when, uh, when all is said and done, what is the result? And uh, pretty sad on the uh, case of the, uh, of the wicked, and then, of course, for the sake of the righteous, it's all grace. Because by the grace of God, we are what we are. And by the grace of God, we do what we do. And in His grace, if we have a, a, a legacy, it's because He provided it in, uh, in all that He does. So that's where we left off a week ago. I want to get right back to it again this morning. Before we get started, though, let's take a moment for silent prayer, asking God to set aside our distractions, to humble us, and to bless our time of study. Shall we pray? Most gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning thankful for your truth, thankful for your faithfulness, calling upon your faithfulness, Father, to oversee our study this morning, that you would open the eyes of our understanding, that you would bless our time together, that the teaching of your truth would not be impaired or limited, hindered in any way by the uh, human limitations on the part of the speaker, on the part of the hearers. Father, uh, provide and provide abundantly. I thank you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, so in the overall outline, we are in main point five. If those of you that are following along and keeping your own uh, keeping your own notes, let me just go through these here. We talked in verse one about the love of knowledge, and uh, spoke of that in verse one, and in particular the contrast uh, with what we have in the image of God, uh, as opposed to the brute, the dumb animal, the stupid brute. That's spoken of there in verse 1. So the love of knowledge requires discipline and reproof. And apart from this blessing, we are stupid brutes. And some aspects on that that hopefully uh, we'll keep in mind because we have more animal language coming up here in this chapter when we talk about the, uh, the righteous man has regard for the life of his animal in verse 10. And so the uh, uh, relationship between humanity and the animal realm and what is expected of us in our stewardship responsibilities is uh, what we're going to come back to. All right, we have some subpoints there. Let me pass through this. Vocabulary, Hebrew terms that we looked at there in verse 1. Moving on to the grace of God and the condemnation of God, which we saw in verse 2. A good man will obtain favor from the Lord, but he will condemn a man who devises evil. So there's the grace of God, that's his favor, and then there's the condemnation and uh, they are contingently targeted. So what is the contingency? What places us as objects of God's grace? What places us as objects of God's condemnation? And if we have choices to make in the process, um, is it, does it remain grace? Does it remain favor? If we are taking action to put ourselves in a, in a position where God is favorable, then 
Is it fair to say that it's entirely grace or have we possibly earned some grace? And of course we haven't, you never earn grace, but you do want to put yourself in the, in the place where God's graciousness will shine upon you and that of course is the application of humility. He is opposed to the proud and He gives grace to the humble. So clearly let's put ourselves in that position whereby He will bestow favor, not whereby He will condemn. And that should be straightforward as well. Uh, we've got some other points of study there. We'll get past that. Had some fun with the Ratzon and with the Mazima. Point three then. And this is just a real rapid review. We've got some new folks here this morning and getting you caught up to speed here with material we've already covered in the uh, earlier verses here of this chapter. But uh, in verse 3 we notice, as well as verse 19 here of this chapter, God's provision is for our fixed stability. His provision is for our fixed stability. And if I'm not careful, I'm just going to fall in love with this verse and teach it all over again. <laughs> because I love the, the principle that's established here. Verse 3 says, A man will not be established by wickedness, but the root of the righteous will not be moved. And I love that. To me, the, the blessings that we have in the Word of God for stability to be rooted, to be grounded, to be stable, to be fixed. This is, the, this is God's heritage. This is what He blesses us with. And so we're not tossed to and fro, and we're not, uh, we're not uh, running around like chickens with our heads cut off, and we're not, we're not uh, just scrambling in this lost and dying world like a bunch of unbelievers. We have stability, and we can appreciate that. Not only here, now look down at verse 19, truthful lips will be established forever but a lying tongue is only for a moment. Again, the contrast is being drawn there between the fixed, permanent, stable, eternal on the one hand and then the momentary on the other hand, the transient, the, the temporal. And ours obviously is the position of the eternal, the fixed, the stable. And uh, many other passages that speak of this as well. I love Ephesians 3.17, Ephesians 4.14. So many other passages that speak of our fixed stability. We're not tossed to and fro uh, by every wind of doctrine. That we are rooted and grounded in love. We have a fixed stability through the Word of God. And we can appreciate that. We moved on to verse 4 and we saw two sides of marriage. Um, The best blessing you'll ever experience and also the worst conflict you'll ever go through is uh, verse 4, an excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who shames him is like rottenness in his bones. And so uh, the point under point 4, as we were uh, listing it for you there, marriage is either the greatest blessing or the greatest cursing, see, <laughs> or both, okay? And if you're married long enough, you're going to see both sides of things from here. You know, on occasion you get one side and on occasion you get the other side. And, uh, and that. And don't think it's strictly one-sided because you can swap the genders around too and turn it around. That uh, the excellent husband is a, is a grace provision for his wife. But uh, the uh, husband who's not in the Word of God, who shames his wife, is like rottenness in her bones. So we can turn that around as well. Anyway, we have some subpoints under point four also. Get past those. Which brings us now to where we are in main point five. All right. Main point five. Thought, word, and deed. Thought, word, and deed are all manifest in the contrast of the righteous and the wicked. These become the venues in which the manifest display, God displays the consequences of right thinking versus wrong thinking, right words versus wrong words, right actions versus wrong actions. It is all a part of the display. That's why, as I phrased it, I said manifest. Thought, word, and deed are all manifest in the contrast of the righteous and the wicked. And God chooses all three of those venues. Um, You know, if you think about each venue becomes a theater of war, becomes a, a, uh, a place whereby the angelic conflict unfolds. The battlefield of our mind as we think, the battlefield of our lips as we speak, and the battlefield of our body as we act. That in all of these venues we're going to display either the Word of God for blessing or carnality for for discipline and the issues there. All right, so again, verse 5 is our thinking verse, verse 6 is our speaking verse, and verse 7 is our action. I'm going to spend most of the time thinking about our actions because, or our thinking, because it's the thinking that drives everything else. As you think in your heart, so you are. 
how you think is going to govern how you speak and how you act. So thoughts and counsels. Thoughts and counsels. That's what we're going to detail. The thinking and the counsel that we take. These are very precise terms in verse, in verse uh, 5. There's the thinking and then there's the counsel. So thoughts and counsels. This speaks to the systematic planning and course charting. Okay, If you're going to chart a course then you're going, to, uh, you're going to be taking counsel and with yourself, with your spouse, with fellow believers in the local church, obviously with God, with the Word of God in prayer. And uh, we take counsel in a lot of different applications. And the, the believer who does not take counsel, the believer who does not chart a course, the believer that does not have a plan is a believer that's going to get in trouble quicker than anything. But we're expected to make a plan and pursue it. We're expected to pursue God's plan. And hopefully these things we'll uh, consider as well. So both of these terms, in the process of studying verse 5, we're going to get these concepts hopefully spelled out for us and we'll understand that it takes work, that it's systematic, that it's, it's, a, it's a structured form of thinking, a systematic planning and course charting. And God expects us to pursue this. I believe it's, it's our heritage as being in the image of God. That God Himself is a thinker. God Himself is a planner. God Himself incorporates plans that are very detailed, that incorporate contingencies, plans that include if this, then that, plans that include um, options for perhaps longer or shorter, for example, options for contingencies in different ways. We know that in the plan of God we have X number of days, right? And we can find verses that tell us that we have X number of days, that the number of our days were, were predetermined before there was even one of them. See, I don't think anyone would argue with me on that. We have X number of days, right? But we also have Y number of days, meaning that that X number can be extended. That if we honor our father and mother, it will go well with you. You will live long on the earth. That there is a, a, a Y variable, for the extension of those X number of days. And God will reward with long life and with grace blessings that God will take that. So that, in other words, what I'm saying is that X number of days is not um, a, a, a solid, inflexible number that can't be adjusted. It can be adjusted. So there's the X number of days and then the Y number of days as, as, uh, as, as it gets extended, as God in His graciousness chooses to provide for that. Okay? And, and Scripture makes that clear. There's also a Z number of days because we can shorten our life. A divine discipline can shorten our life. Prolonged carnality can lead to the sin and the death. Um, the, the human volition. Human volition can commit suicide and decide to take matters in their own hands and just end it now in a complete defiance of their Creator. Okay? So I, I try to think that when I do teach X number of days, yes, that is a biblical principle, but we have to teach it in a broader scope to include the Y number, the Z number, to recognize that God and His planning is so much bigger than we often give Him credit for. Okay, And uh, take it from there. Now some people don't like that, actually. By the way, some people will deny that. Say, no, X is all there is. X is what it is, and if you do commit suicide, well then God knew you were going to do that in His omniscience before the foundation of the world, so God made that the X number. Okay, Or if you're going to honor your father and mother and give you the length of days, well, God knew that also ahead of time and God made that the X number. And, and, and they're just so wrapped up in defending God's sovereignty that they won't accept a Y or a Z option. They insist that there's X and only X. And what God decrees is what God decrees. And, and, and He does that with His foreknowledge, and so He does not have a Y number or a Z number. Okay? And in, in, the, in that model of thinking, it, uh, I think it limits God in His sovereignty. It limits God in His decrees. It limits God. It does not allow for God to decree. I believe the X, Y, Z are all part of God's decree. That God decrees the X number, he, he decrees the extension in grace, and He decrees the, uh, the shortened life in what He permits. All right. 
Wow, that was a rabbit trail. That was a, a, an illustration that maybe proved too much. Back to this point. Systematic planning and course charting. That's what God does. God does that. He expects us to do that. God didn't watch Adam and Eve sin in the garden and then frantically pace around in heaven a little bit and scramble and come up with a plan B. Okay? He knew that Adam and Eve were going to sin. He had a plan for human redemption before even uh, anything else was ever done, right? We talk about that eternal life conference and the divine decrees. <clears throat> before he put into effect his plan, he knew every contingency, including the, the angelic rebellion, the human rebellion, what it would take to reconcile the angelic realm and what it would take to reconcile the human realm. And God incorporated that entire plan. That's why he's the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world. So God has systematic planning. God charts a course. He unfolds his plan from the angels to the Gentiles to Israel to the church to the millennium to the fullness of time. Uh, God has a plan from Alpha to Omega and he hasn't changed yet. He never will. It is his perfect plan and he's bringing it about. Obviously we need to adjust our thoughts and counsels to his righteousness uh, as he unfolds his plan. Uh, We are creatures of time. Okay? We learn in a sequence and we learn things today we didn't know yesterday and we're going to learn things tomorrow we don't know today. And so as we accumulate information, as we add to our knowledge base, we find quite often we've got to start making some adjustments. Okay? Because we don't have that foreknowledge. We don't have the omniscience that God has. And so obviously we have to, uh, we have to adjust our thinking to His thinking. Um, as far as that goes. We also recognize that as we adjust our thinking, the words and the deeds will naturally follow. When we make our adjustments in our thinking to God's righteousness, then our words will be adjusted to God's righteousness and our actions will be adjusted to God's righteousness. So the real benefit of teaching the Word of God line upon line, precept upon precept, is that our thinking gets adjusted. We're renewed in the, in the spirit of our mind. And uh, we have our thinking adjusted. Everything else follows into, into, in, in step, right? Is that not the ultimate design of things? Romans 12, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And, and, and really, to me, that's the greatest privilege we have in the church age. That's what allows us to be a grace ministry. And we don't have to be legalists. Legalists, what, what, legalism, are you kidding me? We're going to start following people around and monitoring their behavior and keeping checklists of do's and don'ts and, and, and jumping all over people if, if they're not measuring up to our legalism? No. How about if we teach the Word of God and let people be transformed in their thinking? Everything else will take care of itself after that. So adjusting thoughts and counsels to God's righteousness unfolds corresponding words and deeds. Now, we spent most of last week detailing this... Uh, Difficult to pronounce Hebrew word. <laughs> Machashava. All right? And the Machashava, uh, uh, Strong's number for Machashava is number 4284. Uh, this is our thinking, okay? And of all the different words that are available for thinking, this is one that speaks to schemes or designs. This speaks to uh, the kind of thinking that, that creates uh, something intricate and something detailed and something that is... Um, appropriately um, like, a, like, a, like a blueprint, like a design, something that can be followed, a schematic. It speaks of systematic, comprehensive thinking. It's not just a passing thought. It's not just an idea that comes and goes. But it is a systematic, comprehensive, schematic type of thinking. And so it speaks of plans, I know the plans that I have for you, for example, Jeremiah 29, 11, plans for, uh, not for your adversity, but plans for your blessing. Other applications there. We spent, like I say, we spent the bulk of, of last week detailing that. I'm not going to go back to that. But, it, but there are verses there that speak of the intricate designs, that speak of the, um, the ability to, to create a plan yourself and not just follow somebody else's plan. Right? Like, a, like if you can... Uh, it's one thing if you can get a get a, 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 a pattern 
at Joanne's Fabrics or something and you get a pattern and you can cut out the material and you can sew a dress, well, that's one thing because you're following somebody else's plan. But are you able to, to draw your own plan? Can you create your own design? Can you in your own inventiveness, in your own creativity, in your own imagination, can you bring something out of nothing? Can you just think about it and then create a plan and then execute that plan? See, that's, what, that's the kind of thinking we're expected to do. And God has designed us with this capacity, part of being in the, in the image of God. See, different applications there. So that's the, the first term here in verse 5. The machava of the righteous. The thoughts of the righteous are just. I want to move on this morning now to talk about counsels. The counsels of the wicked are deceitful. And so point C now, we got another mouthful of, of Hebrew vocabulary, okay, with more guttural consonants. Counsels are the tachbulah, all right, tachbulah. And uh, number 8458 is the Strong's number, if you use the Strong's concordance, there's a number that's attached to every Hebrew word and every Greek word. And so uh, the number here is 8458. And this is a much shorter study. There's only six uses of this in the Old Testament, so it'll go much quicker. Um, Only six uses of tachbulah in the Old Testament, and in a number of the cases they are parallel to uh, the first term that we studied. So we've already done a lot of the homework as it relates to that. But uh, tachbulah speaks of counsel, um, the course that you're charting. It speaks of pulling strings, pulling ropes. Uh, in, in a literal use, it's, it's pulling a rope. All right? And so by extension then, well, what does pulling a rope have to do with anything? Well, you ever sail a ship? If you're going to unfold uh, sails, if you're going to fold sails, if you're going to turn the rudder, uh, ships are entirely run based on ropes. See, at least they used to be back in the age of sail. I don't know what they do now. Uh, propellers, and but even propellers. What turns the propeller? What turns the screw? There's, you gotta, you got to have levers and you've got to have pulleys and you've got to have ropes or chains. You've got to have something that pulls something or nothing moves. See, think about your body. How do you move your arms and your legs? Ropes. Okay, we call them tendons. But you have, uh, you have muscles and tendons and you have things that pull. All right. And so the idea of changing a direction is pulling a string, is pulling a rope. And uh, we even use the idiom today, if you're going to pull strings for somebody to get a job, you're going to pull strings for somebody to, to, to take care of something that needs to be taken care of. You're pulling strings. Or you're pulling someone's chain. Or you're pulling someone's leg. We can, we can pull a lot of things in, uh, in English idioms. So let's look at these. Job 37, 12. And you'll see how these are used in the idea of counsel and direction. But the book of Job, chapter 37, is as uh, the use here of tachbalah. Job 37, 12. And um, this is part of why God is God and we're not, <laughs> okay? Because He does all these things and, and how can we stop Him or how do we, uh, we can't do what God does. And so uh, in a larger context here, He, um, well, I read the whole chapter, what do I do? <laughs> okay, so all these, His voice is roaring in verse 4, he thunders with a majestic voice. Uh, verse 5, God thunders with his voice wondrously, doing great things which we cannot comprehend. You know, we, we get so judgmental, we get so smart, so full of ourselves, we think we're smarter than God, and yet we don't have the first clue how to do anything that God does. For uh, to the snow, he says, fall on the earth. Okay? Who's in charge of snow? Of course, I've got to tell my children what snow is, the poor Texas kids that deprived. Um, to the downpour and the rain, he says, be strong. You know, Sunday morning we had all that rain. God was in charge of that. He seals the hand of every man that all men may know his work. Verse 8, then the beast goes to its lair and remains in its den. Why does it do that? 
God's in charge of the animals. Out of the south comes the storm, out of the north the cold. From the breath of God ice is made, and the expanse of the waters is frozen. Also with moisture he loads the thick cloud, he disperses the cloud uh, of his lightning. Verse 12, it changes direction, turning around by his uh, guidance. Now this is our term, changing direction. If you're going to give counsel, if you're going to change somebody's direction, if there's a, a young person that's headed the wrong direction and you want to counsel them, you want, to, you want them to change their direction, this, this is the verb that you would use, or one of the words you would use. So it changes direction, turning around by His guidance, that it may do whatever He commands it on the face of the inhabited earth. And think about how God guides us, how He steers us. Does He ever sovereignly make us choose the things we choose? Does He force us to do things? Does He teleport us places? As a rule, no. Okay, There are miracles in the Bible where people teleport, but that's an exception. See? Think about Jonah. Go to Nineveh. And then think about the circumstances God employs. From the storm to the whale to the... And every time it gets more unpleasant, more unpleasant, more unpleasant. But still the imperative is go to Nineveh. And Jonah finally on the beach with all the fish vomit and all the, you know, he's, he decides, okay, I'm going to do it. And he goes to, goes to Nineveh. And this is what God does. He arranges our circumstances. He pulls our strings. He can point us in the right direction. But we have to do that walk. We have to take those steps. We have to, uh, we have to make the, the volitional response to the change of direction when he keeps turning our head back to the Lord, saying, very gracious on God's part to do that. All right, the other uses of tachmelah in uh, Hebrew, or in uh, Proverbs, starting in verse 5 of chapter 1, Proverbs 1, 5. A wise man will hear and increase in learning, and a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. We will acquire wise tachbula. And this, and if you don't, if you feel like you don't need counsel, then uh, you, you better check yourself and check the scriptures, because we all do. A wise man will acquire uh, wise counsel. A man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. Nobody knows everything. And so you, you acquire this wise counsel and you get brothers and sisters with divine viewpoint that can come alongside, they can pray with you, they can wrestle with you in prayer, they can uh, uh, assist in the process of acquiring wisdom. Without it, man. Chapter 11 and verse 14. Where there is no tachbula, that may not be correct, it may be the next term. Where there is no guidance, the people fall. But in an abundance of counselors, that one might be, I forget which one of these terms is the tachbula. Either way, where there is no guidance, the people fall. But in an abundance of counselors, there is victory. Again, the point being, we all need it. That nobody knows everything. And that the, the, uh, uh, assignment, whatever it may be, from um, you know, being a husband or being a pastor or operating in a church, whatever it is that you're trying to do, being a wife, being a mother, all right? Are you going to do this on your own? <laughs> uh, or are you going to find some counsel? Are you going to ask some questions? Are you going uh, to pick the brains of somebody that's done it before? <laughs> okay? You're going to find an older woman that, that has gone through this before, an older man that's gone through this before. Obtain the counsel that God is blessing you with. The blessings of the body of Christ is that God has put us in community, in a community with like-minded brothers and sisters. And He's not expecting us to figure it out on our own. So uh, again, where there is no guidance, the people fall. So, you know, you're just going to wing it? You're just going to say, well, I don't need, I'll just read the Bible, I'll figure it out. I'll just, uh, well, wait a minute. Yes, He's given us His Word, 
But he's also given us brothers and sisters to help explain that word, pastors to teach that word, older brothers to, to show us where, you know, you can kind of make a misapplication on certain things. So don't, don't, don't go there. See, learn from the mistakes of others. My dad used to tell me that. Um, in fact, he would tell me that a lot in my, in my teenage years. He says, learn from the mistakes of others. You're not going to live long enough to make all the mistakes yourself. So <laughs> he says, learn from other people's mistakes. That way you can make some of your own and, and, and try to learn all of them. Anyway, different ideas there. Um, also, what, what's the point in having an abundance of counselors? Why don't, why don't you just get one good one and do everything he tells you to do? Well, it's not what it says. And there's a problem if, if you just have one person, the only person you ever listen to, you very quickly find yourself then uh, turning that person into an idol. And I don't care how godly they are, how smart they are, how great they are, um, you, you just idolize that one and only person you ever turn to. And you become just a, a slave. You become a minion. You become a... And, and, and what if they're wrong on an issue? They're not perfect. And what if they, you know, they, something worked great for them and it was, it, was, it was right, it was good for their marriage, it was good for their children or whatever. Um, but it's not appropriate for your circumstance. And so here you are trying to, trying to do what they did and, and, and what they did was great, but it was great for them. It's not great for you. So get an abundance of counselors. Get two or three opinions. Get four or five approaches and say, wow, you know, this worked for this person, that worked for that person. And you start to say, what is it, Lord, that's going to glorify Christ in my generation? See, I do the same thing with pastors. I glean from Pastor Theme, Pastor Braun, Pastor Eichmann, Pastor Jensen, Pastor Carnegie, Pastor Schmidt. I mean, I... I, I I get all these examples and all these uh, things and, and, uh, and, and they don't all agree amongst themselves on certain things. That's fine. How are we going to operate here? How is Austin Bible Church going to proceed for the glory of Jesus Christ? Well, we want to have an abundance of counselors. Chapter 12 and verse 5. Uh, the thoughts of the righteous are just, but the counsel, oh, that's our verse today, but the counsels of the wicked are just, yeah, that's the start of this whole thing. All right, chapter 20 in verse 18. I thought that looked familiar. Chapter 20 in verse 18. Prepare plans by consultation and make war by wise guidance. And uh, so here we see again the tandem between planning and guidance. We see, uh, I think we got both of the verbs. Do we have Proverbs 20? Yes. Proverbs 20 and verse 18 is in point B as well as point C. So both our, our machshava uh, vocabulary and our tachbula vocabulary both occur there in uh, that, that verse, Proverbs 20, 18. Prepare plans by consultation and make war by wise guidance. Finally then, Proverbs 24 and verse 6. If you think about it, you're going to go to war without a plan? <laughs> Good luck with that, okay? Because I bet you, your opponent, he, he's got a plan for his, uh, his battle. Um, you want to have a plan. You've got to know what you're doing. It better be a systematic plan. It better be, better be comprehensive. It better include any number of contingencies. If this, then that. If this, then that. You better be prepared to adapt and adjust because, uh, you know, war is, is, is fluid. And um, in fact, there's one maxim of war that says that the best plan uh, ends when, uh, when you meet the enemy. <laughs> because when you engage in battle, then you better be ready to adjust and adapt to what it is he's doing in, uh, in different things. All right, finally then Proverbs 24 and verse 6. For by wise guidance he will wage war, and in the abundance of counselors there is victory. Similar application. All right. So now in this, I think that this concept of counsel, this concept that it's throughout the Old Testament, both in the planning and in the council, it has applications that we can bring into the church age specifically as it relates to the gift of uh, leadership, the gift of administration. Okay. And uh, if, you, if you've done the study on the spiritual gifts, we know there's 
uh, 11 of the permanent church age spiritual gifts, and the gift of kubernesis. Kubernesis, K-U-B-E-R-N-E-S-I-S, kubernesis. That's this uh, Greek word right here. Number 2941. Now this is a New Testament concept. It's a Greek word, it's not a Hebrew word. But the Septuagint, when, when, the, when the Hebrew Old Testament was translated into Greek, in most cases the Septuagint used this kubernesis term to apply to the tachbula of, uh, of, uh, of the book of Proverbs. Okay? And so every time you have a star there, uh, there, and technically this one too as a cognate form, but every time you have a star there, that's where the Septuagint rendered the Hebrew tachbula with the Greek kubernesis. Okay? And uh, even the two that are not starred, the three that are not starred there, um, like that one, uh, it's not technically kubernesis, but it is a cognate verb, kubernao. So it's the same concept either way. We're talking about pulling ropes. We're talking about guidance. We're talking about being able to provide counsel uh, as needed in the circumstance. Yes, the verb kubernao there in Proverbs 12, 5. Okay? And so this is a, a principle that we've studied in ecclesiology. It's a, a principle we've studied in the uh, doctrine of spiritual gifts in, in basic doctrinal studies. This concept is a wonderful concept for our application because we, um, to my knowledge, we don't have a gifted administrator that has stood up and said, my spiritual gift is the gift of kubernesis. Uh, please help me train this gift and put me to work in the ministry of kubernesis. Okay? I've had people come to tell me that they're pastor teachers. They've had people tell me they're evangelists. Uh, people that tell me that they're server ministers. Uh, or they have the gift of helps. Um, I've had almost all 11 of the permanent gifts. I've had, uh, we have brothers and sisters with the gift of giving. Um, but I've yet to have someone stand and say, Pastor, I am under a conviction. My gift is the Kubernetes gift. See? I've had some people say, well, I think I'm an administrator, but they've got a, a concept of administration that really is a secular con- uh, concept based upon the workforce, based upon career. They say, well, I understand what it means to be an executive assistant, or I know what it means to be an administrative assistant, or I'm, a, I'm an administrator in my company. I work in the finance office and I'm an administrator. And, and the worst thing, I think, for understanding the doctrine of, of kubernesis is the English translation administration. <laughs> All right, the word administer or administration is, uh, I think it does more damage than anything else. The gift is pilot, guidance, somebody that can steer a course. A kubernesis would be a, a pilot that would bring a boat into harbor. See, the captain would sail the ship to the harbor but then the pilot would come out from the, from the dock, get on board the ship, and steer the, the boat into the, into the harbor. That's what a harbor pilot is about. Okay? A harbor pilot, because no captain knows all the details of every, of every port in, on, on, the, on the planet. No, you just can't know them all. But you have a local harbor pilot that knows where the rocks are, where the reefs are, where the, the strange currents are, uh, knows the, the, the way to bring the ship in safely to get it to the dock. That's what a harbor pilot does. And so uh, the harbor pilot, that's the kubernesis. He's the harbor pilot. See? And in a local church, this is what we want to have in, in our application. We want to have a harbor pilot. So the spiritual gift, by the way, is in 1 Corinthians 12, 28. This is, uh, of course, the great chapter that details spiritual gifts. Um, Verse 27 says, You are Christ's body and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, kubernesis, translated administrations. See, it should be 
harbor pilots. <laughs> guidance. Call it uh, trail guides. See, if you want to use an army expression instead of a navy expression, then use trail guide instead of uh, harbor pilot. Then um, various kinds of tongues. All are not apostles, are they? All are not prophets, are they? And it goes on. Many of these, by the way, are the charismatic gifts that we don't have anymore. They were part of the early church. Um, but uh, the permanent gifts do include the harbor pilot. The uh, kubernesis is a permanent ongoing gift. It is one of the 11 permanent abiding gifts for the church age. And it's uh, so if uh, when somebody comes to me and says, I'm really considering this harbor pilot gift, uh, I'm considering that this may be what God is empowering within me and what He's leading me to do, then uh, then we'll start training that. We're going to work on that. And what am I going to do? I'm going to take you to Proverbs and we're going to start doing some word studies related to tachbula. We're going to start to see the point, the purpose of counseling, the purpose of not secular counseling, okay? Not lay on a couch and tell somebody all my troubles. I'm talking about wise counsel whereby we chart a course and we find solutions to, to ministry engagements that, that we're pursuing. See, the harbor pilot that knows all the answers, that at least knows these answers, at least helps to chart the course. We'll talk about that. What, what might that ministry be like in a local church? Say, I thought that the pastor did all that. <laughs> the pastor has all the answers. The pastor knows everything. Wait a minute, okay? It, you know, in terms of sailing the ship versus coming into a particular port, the counsel and the guidance and the wisdom that's necessary to chart a court through rocky waters, that's not the captain of the ship that does that. That's the pilot that does that. See? All right. Anyway, there's, uh, there's a role for that in the local assembly. And one that uh, hopefully more and more of us will start to uh, to pay attention to. All right, let's get past verses five, six, and seven now. Um, like I say, we're not going to do a lot with um, the words and the deeds, but I want to build on what we've, well, while while it's still fresh. Let me go to Proverbs twelve. Um. Because when we get to verse 8, we have a, a concept that, that just builds right on what we're talking about. With thinking, with planning, with counsel, with systematic thinking. And we have in verse 8 a follow-up to that. A man will be praised according to his insight, but one of perverse mind will be despised. A man will be praised according to his insight. So, we're, we're gonna, we want to take everything we've been looking at now for two weeks related to thinking, and now we want to we want to take it to where verse eight takes it and start dealing with insight. What is insight? These flashes of inspiration, these the the thought process of of imaginative um, putting it all together. That's insight. A man will be praised according to his insight, but one of perverse mind will be despised. So uh, let's put the slide up next here. Let's go to point six. Let's look at verse eight. A follow-up to the applications of thoughts and counsels is the praiseworthiness of insight. The praiseworthiness of insight. This is a follow-up. And I, and I really think that this is um, uh, going to be a blessing for us as we start to consider what this is about. How God trains us to think. And how as He trains us to think and as we get skilled at it, as we get skilled and, and experienced in our thinking and formulating plans and counseling one another and, and, and worshiping the Lord our God with all our mind, right? Heart, mind, soul, and strength. That in the development of thinking, we then cultivate insight. And we should be cultivating this insight more and more and more. So this is a follow-up to the applications of thoughts and counsels. And this is the praiseworthiness of insight. And I think it's, it's, uh, 
is something worthy of praise. A man will be praised according to his insight. Maybe not on this earth. <laughs> Maybe not uh, by very many people. Okay? Uh, but by those who have the frame of reference to appreciate it, then yes, he will be praised. And ultimately it may have to come down to the, the judgment seat of Christ, whereby God the Father himself will say, well done, good and faithful servant. That that praise will come. Uh, it will come uh, by fellow believers who have the capacity to appreciate the insight. Fellow believers that are blessed by that insight because they're on board with the planning and the counsel. And uh, in the process of sharing these thoughts, in the process of fellowshipping over these thoughts, we are then able to praise one another in this capacity. Otherwise, there is a flip side, and that's perversity. (laughs) One of perverse mind will be despised. So are we going to praise or are we going to despise? Are we going to appreciate or are we going to denigrate? And that's what we deal with here, okay? And in, I enjoy this. In fact, I enjoy, we do this a lot, we just don't think about it. And we don't realize that Scripture uh, presents this in, in, in this way, right? The, um, what is it that we come to appreciate with respect to other people? What do, you, what do you appreciate about your spouse? What do you appreciate about your uh, pastor? What do you appreciate about your deacons? What do you appreciate about your fellow member of Austin Bible Church? Okay? This could be kind of fun. <laughs> um, so you, you appreciate the, uh, the things that they do because it, why? You know, I appreciate the, the uh, uh, I appreciate the donut holes on Sunday morning. Okay? I appreciate the kolaches. Those little sausage things with the cheese and the jalapenos and that, ooh, I appreciate those. Okay? Uh, what else do I appreciate? I appreciate, uh, you know, so we can think about things, stuff, what people do. Um, I, and, 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 and there's nothing wrong with that. I appreciate um, uh, the nursery deacon because I don't remember the last diaper I changed. In, in, <laughs> okay? I mean, years ago I was the nursery deacon and, and, and it's been a while. Okay? I appreciate the property deacon. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd be pulling my hair out that that fence that keeps breaking by the uh, trash cans. Why does that door keep flopping open? Why can't why can't somebody put a latch on that thing that keeps the thing shut? Okay, well, uh, I appreciate my property deacon. Okay, I appreciate um, I appreciate uh, Molly for playing the piano and Warren, and I appreciate George Ann for the violin. I I mean, so we think about what's appreciated, we think about what's praised. Um, And and we can do this for hours. We can go on and on and on. Um, We can also denigrate. We can complain. We can despise. Uh, And if I have a perverse mind, then yeah. Then I get critical. And then I'm not content with anything. Now I'm grumbling. Now I'm, I'm, I'm finding fault with everything. Let's not do that. Um, but now, how about praising insight? That's what this verse is talking about. Do we do this? And should we, well, this verse says we do, and we should, but I, I'm wondering, do we do this as frequently as we ought to be doing this? In recognizing in the learning of doctrine, in the application, in the sharing of wisdom, in the, um, in the application of counsel, when I get counsel from somebody, do I appreciate that and do I praise that? Do I, do I honor the older brother that gave me the counsel? Do I honor him? Do I praise him according to his insight? I'm expected to. This verse tells me to. All right. So a man of pra- uh, will be praised according to his insight. And I want to foster more of this because I think there's a lot of this. 
This is, uh, this is why I love going to pastor's conferences. This is why I love hearing because iron sharpens iron and we learn things and I'm listening to other pastors and, and a verse gets taught in a way that I hadn't really thought of before. And, and, uh, and even, you know, uh, even if I, I, at the end I don't agree with it, but it made me think it through. I'm thankful for that. It forced me to stop and, and look at it again and, and evaluate and go, well, no, I don't really think so. But it sharpened me and it, it improved me by just the exercise of going through and, and discussing those things. And so we can praise the insight. We can praise the insight. All right, so what is insight? Insight is suckle or sacle or suckalo or secula. In fact, do you know the, do you ever listen to the radio or see on the uh, J Seculo? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Well, think J Seculo as a person with insight. Okay, and you remember this verb, and I don't know. He has Jewish and, and racial background, and and, and 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 thankfully he came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. So he's both racially Jewish and born again. Uh, you know, best of both worlds. <laughs> but when you think of J. Seculo, and our term here in Proverbs twelve has the the O suffix because it's his um, his insight. The insight of him is the sakalo. Um, I, I have no clue what the name seculo means. I don't know what it, language it comes from, if, it, if it's uh, uh, a Hebrew origin or what it might be. But anyway, I'm not going to ever forget suckle or seculo or sakal or maskeel or any of these other terms. Uh, and because I've made that connection between seculo and seculo uh, as somebody with insight. Okay, and I, and I find he does have insight. I enjoy enjoy him on the radio and, and uh, on TV. But there is praiseworthiness for having insight. Now this is the capacity for thinking. This kind of incorporates not just intelligence and, and wisdom, but the, um, the facility with thought, the inventiveness. Because there's a lot of people that, ha- that are intelligent, but they're not inventive. They, they understand a lot, but they don't think for themselves that they know a lot, smarter than any 10 people you can point and shake a stick at. But that, that creativity and that inventiveness and that, that insight, and then, you know, the, for them, you know, by the time the light bulb comes on, <laughs> you know, uh, four other people have had to explain it to them. And it's not that they're stupid, it's just that they're not insightful. And that's really what Suckle speaks to. I think as we as we look our way through. So, anyway, Sekel is a S E K E L Sekel, uh, number seventy nine twenty two. Uh, has sixteen Old Testament applications, and uh, most of them are in Proverbs. But a couple of the ones I thought were useful. You remember Abigail, the the, the woman she was married to a fool, but she herself was Sekel. She herself had insight, and it's interesting. So 1 Samuel 25, 3 is the use on this. And David was so graced out because he married her after she was widowed. Does that count if you murder the guy? He didn't murder. Nabal was executed, not murdered. But Nabal was a fool. And after his death here, boy, it's been a long time since I taught this. 1 Samuel 25, in verse 3. So the man's name was Nabal, which means foolish, and he was a fool. And his wife's name was Abigail. And the woman was intelligent. That's our term. And the woman was seckle and beautiful in body, in appearance. But the man was harsh and evil in his dealings. And he was a Calebite. And David heard that in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep. So David sent ten young men said to the young man, and anyway, Nabal the fool um, answers him harshly in verse 10, who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? And uh, anyway, basically tells him, take a hike, drop dead. And um, so David's uh, young men, uh, each of you grab your sword and he's going to go and he's going to take justice in his own hands here. And uh, Abigail stops him, stops the, the wickedness. 
So one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, saying, Behold, David sent messengers. Anyway, um, so Abigail hurries, takes 200 loaves of bread, two jugs of wine. Anyway, she's able to intercede. She uses her insight to keep David from doing something he would regret. Okay? And um, so in verse 23, when Abigail saw David, she hurried and dismounted from her donkey, fell on her face before David, bowed herself to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, on me alone, my Lord, be the blame. Now, is that fair? Was it her fault? Why is she blaming herself? She's accepting the judgment. She's accepting, this is imputation, right? She's accepting the, the guilt. She's accepting the judgment. On me alone, my Lord, be the blame. And please let your maidservant speak to you and listen to the words of your maidservant. Please do not let my Lord pay attention to this worthless man, Nabal. For as his name is, so he is. Nabal is his name and folly is with him. See, I wonder why did she even marry this? Well, arranged marriage, just probably didn't have a choice. Okay? Because she has insight and he's a fool. All right, uh, anyway. So she uh, says in verse 26, Now therefore, my Lord, as the Lord lives, as your soul lives, since the Lord has restrained you from shedding blood and from avenging yourself by your own hand. Now, see see the doctrine in that verse? Man, this woman has, uh, she has a frame of reference, doesn't she? As uh, Yahweh lives and your soul lives, she understands the basis for a believer glorifying the Lord. Understands the seriousness about being an avenger, about innocent blood. All of these are doctrinal issues. Now then, let this gift which your maidservant has brought to my Lord be given to the young men who accompany my Lord and forgive the transgression of your maidservant. Remember? Because she's accepting the, all the judgment upon herself asking that now perhaps David will find it in his heart to forgive her. Forgive the transgression of your maidservant, for the Lord will certainly make for my Lord an enduring house, because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord, and evil will not be found in you all your days. Anyway, she's got a tremendous doctrine right here in, uh, in this. So David uh, said to Abigail, verse 32, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me, and blessed be your discernment. Do you see that there? Discernment in verse 33. And blessed be you who have kept me this day from bloodshed and from avenging myself by my own hand. Okay? And so she was able to bless him. This is what her uh, insight was able to do. She had the right words at the right time. She came to him. She was relating everything to doctrine, to uh, the God of grace, and to, to, to uh, David's frame of reference. And, uh, and so there it is. Anyway, by the end of the chapter then, uh, Nabal dies. Uh, verse 38, ten days later the Lord struck Nabal and he died. Okay? And so God and God's grace... Um, didn't let David take matters into his own hands. Okay, I think it's a lesson David had to learn because otherwise he probably would have blown it in the cave with King Saul, right? He would have put his would have murdered Saul. But no, David learned the lesson, so he doesn't take justice in his own hands; leaves it in God's hands. And so, as soon as uh, David hears that Nabal is dead, now he's got a chance to t- take this woman of excellence and uh, take her as his wife happens there. All right, anyway, that's the insight there from uh, Nabal. Um, last one, uh, Nehemiah 8. have to come back. Who, who turns to Nehemiah anyway? I'm teasing because Lewis is working on a study in uh, Ezra and Nehemiah. Um, Nehemiah chapter 8. Actually, I probably wouldn't have uh, included this if <laughs> Lewis hadn't been working on it. That's okay. Nehemiah 8.8. 8. Here's interesting. Ezra's reading the law. Look at this. Ezra's reading the law, and all the people are here. And verse 6, he blesses the Lord, uh, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen. It's, it's okay to say Amen in church. 
and uh, while lifting up their hands, and they bowed low and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, this long list of people here, Yeshua, Bani, Shariba, Jamin, Akab, all those guys. Um, but notice, uh, they explained the law to the people <clears throat> while the people remained in their place. This is what exegetical Bible teaching is supposed to do. Explaining to the people. Verse 8, they read from the book, from the law of God, translating to give the sense, to give the insight. See, you don't just want to get Bible facts. You want to have the insight. You want to have the sense. You want to have the so what, (laughs) okay? You want to learn the Word of God so that the insight from doctrine becomes real in your thinking, to give the sense so that they understood the reading. It's not just academic for information. You want to have the sense, the insight, the seckle. We want to have the seckle. All right. Well, this is where we'll pick up next week, Lord willing, and rapture pending. Remember we have today, we have, uh, what's today? The the 5th, and then the 12th, and then the 19th. So there's just two more Wednesdays. We will not have Proverbs on the 26th or on the 3rd. Yeah, we'll have two, two weeks off. So two more to go and then two weeks off. Father, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for Proverbs and the wisdom that uh, doesn't just uh, tell us what is, but trains us in how to think. So we can have insight, so we can put this scripture together with that scripture, so that we can see the whole counsel of your word. Father, uh, train us to think through these studies. I thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.